Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Greenbelt development plans will be investigated. Still no solution to Hamilton's homeless encampments issue. There are new rules for short-term rentals in the city, controversy at a pride-themed event in the NHL, and a fun way to get back at a villain in your life. We'll tell you more next year on the GMH podcast. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Oh, we've been hearing over the last number of weeks, number of months now, about these greenbelt lands. Unequivocally, we won't touch the greenbelt. Unlike other governments that don't listen to people, I've heard it loud and clear, people don't want me touching the greenbelt, we won't touch the greenbelt. We'll figure out uh, how to clean up this housing mess and this housing crisis that we're facing in a different fashion. But all my friends, I listen to you, you don't want me touching the greenbelt, we won't touch the green belt. Well, as you know by now, the province is touching the green belt, offering up some green belt lands to developers. The problem is, and this is what we're going to be talking about, is that it appears that some developers purchased these green belt lands weeks before they were actually available to purchase. I mean, why would you spend millions, tens of millions of dollars on lands that you're not supposed to build on? And then lo and behold, oh, wait, you can build on them. Phil Pothin is the Ontario Environment Program Manager with Environmental Defence and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Phil, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. So now we are hearing that Ontario's Integrity Commissioner and the Auditor General are going to investigate. They're, they're going to have separate investigations into how the provincial government opened up these lands and how developers were able to access these lands. I've always said where there's smoke, there's fire. This doesn't seem to be a shocking development. No, it's it's not shocking at all. And it's worth noting, you know, while the OPP investigations and and the uh, Integrity Commissioner's investigations are focused to some extent on the, the question of how the information about the government breaking its promise was leaked in advance, to well-connected landowners or, or, or real estate investors, um, the Auditor General's inquir- investigation is actually about the broader decision itself. And that is, you know, there is clearly no need for this land. There are 300 square kilometers at least of existing uh, land sitting unused on the outskirts of cities and we're leapfrogging into new land for no reason. Uh, so the question is, you know, why are they just, uh, you know, for no obvious reason, destroying, uh, the environmental values of this land, uh, land that the Auditor General says was meant to be kept permanently off limits for development and was necessary to protect agricultural and ecological function, uh, you know, what, what's the, the substantive decision itself the Auditor General is exploring because that decision itself is fishy over and above, you know, the leaking of the information that no one knew about because the government was swearing up and down it would never touch the green belt. We heard uh, earlier from Global's Queen's Park Bureau Chief Colin DeMello, who uh, was suggesting that uh, one of the things that th- th- these two, I guess, investigations are going to look at is there was a staffer in the housing ministry with housing minister Steve Clark who left to join the, de- the the home building world. And suddenly that home building or that developer is getting a piece of the green belt. It, it, it can't be more than just a coincidence. Well, I, it's up to those investigations to find out the details of who it is within the government 
who leaked that information. I can understand uh, why that circumstance, among many others here, is uh, is raising the uh, hairs on the backs of the necks of investigators. Uh, but we will leave it to those investigators to determine if it was that person who leaked the secret information uh, or whether it was someone else. Should the OPP look into this a little bit more than they are and launch an official oh, investigation? Absolutely. Yeah, yes, the LPP should. Uh, you know, there's been a bit of verbal hair splitting about uh, whether the OPP will investigate or not. And I think, you know, clearly by asking the questions that they are asking, they are investigating at some level. The question is uh, whether they have any hope that the cone of silence around this question that's been created by the government is going to be broken. Uh, if, if, you know, that's why we're calling on MPPs. We are calling on uh, people within the government who know who leaked the information to approach the OPP, to tell them who it was, or to tell you anything, tell them anything you know about uh, that might lead them to find out who it was. Phil, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Phil Pothin is with Environmental Defense. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Not really valuable from a developer's perspective. Why would you purchase that property if you couldn't develop on it? And then how is it that that property you purchased suddenly was eliminated from the green belt? Yeah. Why is that? Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Great uh, commentary by Global News Queen's Park Bureau Chief Colin DeMello on not one but two investigations now into the provincial government opening up Greenbelt lands for these developers when it appears that these developers had prior knowledge that these lands would be opened up, even though the premier said they would never be opened up. But now we have the Integrity Commissioner and the Auditor General announcing separate investigations. Monique Taylor is the NDP MPP in Hamilton Mountain and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Monique, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Rick. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm really interested to see what is uncovered in these investigations. What do you think is going to come out of them? Well, I'll tell you, we're very interested to see also, as well as the people of Ontario. Um, there definitely is something that uh, is not right here. Um, the word stinks and fishy has been used often um, in regards to this. And so the people of Ontario uh, deserve to know the real truth of what's happening uh, with millions of dollars, billions of dollars and our precious Greenbelt lands. Now, these are, for lack of a better term, ethics probes. Should there be a criminal investigation led by the OPP? Well, uh, they're reviewing information now and uh, requests for complaints at the OPP anti-rackets uh, department. So we're looking forward to that response and hopefully uh, see them move forward with an investigation also. If wrongdoing is found, should should it be more than just having a fall guy, so to speak? Should this whole plan be reversed? Absolutely. Uh, Ford should see now uh, that there is integrity uh, with uh, the reports that are coming forward, that there are questions that are being made, and he should stop uh, right now uh, before moving any further and let uh, our independent officers uh, do their work um, for the people of Ontario uh, before one uh, shovel goes into the ground. I, You know, when we heard about this last year, these Greenbelt lands opening, I, among many others, thought that, uh, listen, there's, there's no guarantee 
guarantee we're going to have any of these parcels of land become suburbs or areas where affordable housing is in the mix. Is there any guarantee of that? No, there is not. Uh, in the legislation that was passed forward, there's not one word of affordable affordability. Uh, we know that these are going to be outskirts lands, uh, so it's going to take longer for people to get to work. If there's going to be more cost of infrastructure, uh, you know, needed necessities, water, hydro, all of those uh, important factors that are going to go there. Uh, so the cost of these houses um, are not going to be cheap, um, and uh, you know, the cost of the land, um, as we've seen. Uh, being sold uh, is is not cheap. So who's benefiting um, other than, uh, you know, wealthy um, developers and uh, what we know for fact to be uh, PC donors? Any idea on how these inve- how long these investigations will take? No, it depends, uh, as the Auditor General has said, for her report, uh, it depends on how much information uh, that she gets back. Uh, we've definitely seen governments uh, in the past load uh, these um, independent officers down with so much information that it takes quite a while for them to comb through it. Um, so hopefully uh, they'll be able to get through it quickly and give us a report. Uh, the, the auditor is expecting that it will be back this year, uh, but the quicker the better. So let's hope that uh, that we don't see uh, those games happen that we've seen happen in the past. Well, interesting times here in the province of Ontario. Monique, thank you for your time today and enjoy your day. Thank you so much. You too. That is Monique Taylor, Hamilton Mountain NDP MPP as Ontario's Integrity Commissioner and the province's Auditor General. Bonnie Lissick have announced separate investigations into the provincial government's decision to open up these Greenbelt lands, which were protected for, well, since they came into effect, uh, open up these parcels of land for housing development. And what we're hearing is there is there was a staffer in the housing ministry that worked alongside housing minister Steve Clark, who left that position, went to work for a home builders uh, association entity organization. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, that organization held some part of these Greenbelt lands. Yeah, it smells kind of funny to me, too. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. City of Hamilton's response to homeless encampments continues to be debated at City Hall. There was a lengthy in-camera meeting yesterday. So what, if anything, was decided yesterday? What's the go-forward plan? Michelle Baird is the Housing Services Director with the City of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Michelle, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Rick. Thank you. Considering much of yesterday's debate was in camera, can you tell us anything new about what's going on? So at this point, Council has decided to defer the discussion with respect to encampments until February 1st, GIC meeting. So at this point, there are two reports before Council, but the decisions with respect to how we move forward um, are still to be determined. So what are these two reports focused on? So the two reports uh, that Council heard yesterday, one is um, an information report, and what it is is a summary of work that's been done over the past year where um, some sessions were held with a number of stakeholders in the community, including those who currently live in encampments or perhaps have lived in encampments in past. That report basically describes the experience of those individuals, what do they need in order to make encampments either safer, better meet their needs, or perhaps uh, what they would see or perceive are the issues with respect to shelters that currently mean that shelters aren't a place where they feel safe or that meet their needs um, at this point in time. 
The second report is the outcome of a pilot program that the city was uh, running for the past year as well. And that pilot was uh, previous direction to staff to enforce the city's park law by park, the city's parks bylaw. And so that meant that municipal law enforcement um, ultimately had 12 to 72 hours after they received a complaint to, to work with the clients and move them uh, out of the encampments. The, during that pilot, of course, um, MLEO was involved as well as our housing staff and worked with individuals to uh, move those encampments along to try to prevent large entrenched encampments. And so this report was uh, recommending how we move forward, considering the findings in that first report I talked about, the findings over the past uh, period of time during the pilot, and really thinking about the whole of community and how we meet the needs of our entire community. I was just going to say, is that the main sticking point on how to move forward on when there is an encampment, how to disperse it now to get shelter for these individuals? I think the whole issue of encampments is a complex issue overall. It's resulting from a, a lot of interconnected issues at this point in time. I'm not sure that's the main sticking sticking item uh, versus just in general uh, the issues that result in encampments, be that lack of housing, lack of affordable housing, housing with support, issues with respect to harm reduction, and how uh, how people access shelters overall. I think it's not necessarily just how we move forward, but how do we uh, deal with the whole issue in the community and those broader impacts that are resulting in people, unfortunately, having to live in an encampment. We're talking about homeless campments in Hamilton with Michelle Baird, Housing Services Director with the City of Hamilton. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, yesterday, I spoke with a representative from the Hamilton Encampment Support Network, and they were really adamantly against any type of enforcement, especially that involving police. Can any sort of policy be implemented without police involvement? So what I would say to you is we certainly appreciate that concern, and we've heard those concerns raised with us as well. Uh, police are very uh, rarely brought into the discussion with respect to encampments. Police are brought in at a point where uh, the safety of someone, whether it be our own staff or someone in an encampment, is challenged. Police are not the first response for us. In fact, in the proposal that we put forward to council, the the approach would really start with a housing outreach worker making those connections. And those connections could take hours, could take days. Really, we don't have a primary role for police. They are brought in when safety is a concern. This is, as you mentioned, a very complex issue. The, the solutions, I think, are out there in terms of, yes, we need more affordable housing. Yeah, we need more shelter spaces. Yes, we need better mental health supports. You know, the, the tiny homes community might solve a little bit about this. Is there one solution that is easily adoptable now? There's likely not one easy solution to this. It's been a long time and complex issues that got us here. Even the strategy we put forward, ultimately it's a strategy on how we work with people who live in encampments. It's not a, not necessarily a solution to homelessness overall. And really if the, if the community wants to move forward in a positive way, we need to move to a place that we're dealing with the housing crisis and really dealing with homelessness and the root causes. Our guest yesterday from the Homelessness Encampment Support Network uh, was saying that a lot of these individuals are on the outskirts of the city. They're moving into forested areas. Um, are we keeping a close eye on these people? 
So the outreach staff keep connected with these people in the event that encampments are moved or people move to different locations. They really do their best to understand with the individual where they're planning on moving, be it uh, perhaps with a friend or whatnot, moving to a different site, and so that they really can keep track and know where the individuals are in order to routinely check on them and make sure that they're providing them with items they need to, to be comfortable day to day. Michelle, uh, thank you for the update. Uh, good luck with this going forward. I know it's not an easy uh, debate. Thank you, Rick. That is Have Mich- a good day. You too. That is Michelle Baird, Housing Services Director with the City of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. New rules for short-term rentals in this city. City of Hamilton is laying down some framework on how this is going to work. And here to explain is John Paul Danko, Counselor in Ward 8 in the City of Hamilton. JP, good morning. How are you? morning, Rick. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, I guess. Well, you know, it's, it's almost the end of January, but this is the first time we've spoken in 2023. So, yes, right back at you. Uh, listen, what's going on with the, these new rules for short-term rentals? Well, as you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, uh, the cost of housing in Hamilton is just completely out of control. Uh, the cost of a single-family home for the average family is far beyond what they could possibly afford. And the same thing goes for rent. Uh, rents right now are, are thousands of dollars just for a two-bedroom apartment, you know, modest accommodation. And as a council, we uh, recognize that that is a, a crisis for our city. And we're doing everything that we can to try to make the cost of housing uh, more affordable, the cost of rent in line with what people can actually uh, actually afford. And part of that is uh, Airbnb and Verbo, which are short-term rentals in Hamilton that are displacing what would other be otherwise be long-term rentals. So um, to help uh, with that situation, we uh, passed uh, legislation that will license short-term rentals. So those are the Airbnb and Verbo type accommodations. So are you allowed to have more than one? You can only have one and it can only be in your principal residence. So that is the home that you own, the home that you live in. If you have a secondary suite, if you have a laneway suite, so different areas of your home, um, you can uh, you can rent that out, but you can only rent out one on your principal residence. So if you had, say, a you know sprawling lot in the city, you can rent out your basement, but you could not rent out, let's say, the pool house. That's correct. Um, so again, you know, the whole point of this licensing uh, is is in order to encourage property owners to, you know, instead of short-term renting, to shift to long-term renting, because that's the accommodation that people really need, that they're going to live long-term, they're going to put down roots in our city. Um, there's such a shortage of rental accommodation um, in Hamilton right now, it's an emergency, and we need to do everything that we can to to make that available. And the other part of the equation, and this is something that I see in Ward 8 quite often, is uh, speculative real estate investors that buy multiple properties, and then it's just easier and more profitable for them to put them on short-term rentals because they don't, uh, you know, don't want to deal with uh, with long-term tenants or whatever their their purpose is. But we heard from delegates uh, at uh, at planning committee that that really detracts from. Um, neighborhood quality, and it also we, we've been having part problems with um, short-term rentals being turned into you know party houses and uh, just some um, um, 
I'd say quality of life issues for neighborhoods when there's a lot of short-term rental accommodations. Uh, we just got about uh, a minute and a half. There's uh, one stipulation is that these short-term rentals will only be allowed to be offered up for a maximum of 28 consecutive nights. How do you police that sort of thing? Well, that's already part of provincial legislation, because if you rent anything for more than 28 nights, you automatically are classified as a long-term rental, and then the Rental Tenant Act comes into account. But are we going to have bylaw officers knocking on doors saying, hey, can I check your rental agreements, or how does that work? No, that'll be through uh, the uh, the brokers, such as Airbnb and Verbo. They will not be permitted to uh, just through their platforms, uh, offer that accommodation for longer than 28 days. Well, fingers crossed this works out for uh, everyone involved. J.P. Danko, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me on, Rick. That's John Paul Danko, Councillor Ward 8 in the city of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A rather, you know, a big and a rather disturbing story out of the National Hockey League earlier this week. Tuesday night, the Philadelphia Flyers, and you've seen this with other teams, the Maple Leafs have done it, the Buffalo Sabres have done it, every team has done a pride-themed night. And so on Tuesday night in Philadelphia, the Flyers have their team warm-up. And if you've ever been to a hockey game or have watched it on TV before the game, you know, the players skate around, they shoot the puck, you know, the goalie stretches they get all ready for what is going to be a two-and-a-half to three-hour extravaganza of their athletic exploits. And so... During the warm-up, the Philadelphia Flyers, as a team, were wearing Pride-themed jerseys as their warm-up jerseys. They're celebrating LGBTQ night at their arena. It's uh, supposed to be a very positive event, and by all accounts, it was, except for Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov. Uh, Mr. Provorov did not participate in the pregame warm-up because he didn't want to wear the Pride-themed jerseys. Jersey. And so this made headlines all over the place. And after the game, Provorov was asked why he was not out there with his teammates participating in this pride themed event. I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. That's all I'm going to say. Have you religious beliefs? Any, like I said, that's all I'm going to comment on that. Um, if you have any hockey questions, I would like, I would answer those. So Ivan Provorov says, uh, listen, based on my religion, I'm not going to participate. I don't believe in that. Uh, let's just talk about hockey. Trying to sweep it under the rug. Uh, so Flyers head coach John Tortorella was, uh, Tortorella, pardon me, was also asked about this issue. And, well, he basically sidestepped it. I think the organization has sent out a release regarding the organization, the, the beliefs that we have uh, and how we feel about it. And really a great night um, with Provy. Uh, uh, he, he's being true to himself and to his religion. This has to do with his belief in his religion. And it's one thing I respect about Provy. He's always true to himself. Uh, and so that's that's where we're at with that. Was there any consideration on your part when he chose not to wear the jersey to not play him as a result? No, no. I'm not going to answer many more questions on it because I, I just think it's unfair. Uh, I know you're going to probably talk to Provy, but um, yeah, that, that, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I, I think it was a great night in celebrating. Uh, organization has put out a, a statement and I'm not going to get too deep into the conversation. Those are the comments as far as Provi. We, we talked as a team and with Provi, 
and that, that's where we're at. The league, the National Hockey League, for its part, saying that, quote, players are free to decide which initiatives to support. Uh, okay, I you know, I agree with that. I agree with Ivan's decision to sit it out. I don't agree with the decision. I, I, I agree that he can make the decision. And he has the right to make his own decision. That is fine. It It's a horrible decision to make. I mean, you want to be a team player, do you not? And I think using the religion aspect is putrid. Just uh, uh, unbelievable. And so whether the team should be penalized, whether he should be penalized, no. I don't think the league should do this. You can't force someone to participate in something that they don't want to participate in. In fact, this whole situation reminded me of an epic episode on Seinfeld. Okay, you're checked in. Yeah, thank you. Here's your AIDS ribbon. Uh, no, thanks. You don't want to wear an AIDS ribbon? Uh, no, no. But you have to wear an AIDS ribbon. I have to? Yes. Yeah, see, that's why I don't want to. But everyone wears the ribbon. You must wear the ribbon. What you are? You're a ribbon bully. Hey, hey you come back here. Come back here and put this on. <laughs> Hey, where's your ribbon? Oh, I don't wear it. You don't wear the ribbon? Aren't you against AIDS? Yeah, I'm against AIDS. I mean, I'm walking on it. I just don't wear the ribbon. Who do you think you are? Put the ribbon on. Hey, Cedric, Bob, this guy won't wear a ribbon. Who? Who doesn't want to wear the ribbon? Are you going to wear the ribbon? No, no never. But I'm wearing the ribbon. He's wearing the ribbon. We are all wearing the ribbon. So why aren't you going to wear the ribbon? This is America. I don't have to wear anything I don't want to wear. What are we going to do with him? I huh? guess we're just going to have to teach him to wear the ribbon. <laughs> well, then Kramer gets assaulted, which, you know, violence is not the answer either. But listen, Provorov is obviously homophobic. No one can deny that. And this situation offers a clear indication that the National Hockey League still has some work to do on the inclusivity front. You know, they've made some strides. They've done some good things. But instead of, and I know we always like to focus on the negative, but instead of focusing on the narrow-minded views of one hockey player, the spotlight should be pointed to all the other players who support the NHL's You Can Play project, which uh, promotes inclusivity for all who participate in all sports including LGBTQ athletes, coaches, and fans, and that's where the attention should be paid. So, yeah, he shouldn't be penalized. He should be vilified. But, I, you know, I think the NHL has done what it's done, and uh, hopefully we can move on. And hopefully more and more players will bring a light to uh, those who uh, want to play the game, no matter where they're from, what they believe in. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You have a bad ex Maybe a creepy boss, a toxic friend. We all seem to have at least one of those. Well, you have a chance to get in a little dick and contribute to a good cause at the same time. It's all part of a unique fundraiser at the Toronto Zoo. It's called Adopt an Animal Valentine's Day Special. Name a roach. Yeah, the zoo is giving you the opportunity to name a cockroach after a, I guess, villain in your life. Here to talk about it is Beth Gillespie, Executive Director at the Toronto Zoo. Beth, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you. Who came up with this idea? 
Well, you know, it's interesting. We're always looking for ways um, to raise awareness uh, that the Toronto Zoo does have a fundraising need. There's a, There are a lot of programs that aren't funded by any other means other than donations, and there are really important conservation programs. So we were looking around, and, and this Adopt-A-Roach program had, um, had been going on at a few zoos in the United States, and we thought, well, that's an interesting idea. We'll give that a try. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's intended to be a fun, kind of cheeky way of of um, celebrating Valentine's in a different way, uh, if you will. What's the response been like so far? It has been quite overwhelming. Uh, lots and lots of, of uptake. And, um, you know, what's uh, what's really interesting is that, you know, cockroaches, they, they get a bad rap. You know, we, no, nobody wants to see them sort of scurrying across the floor, but they are really important to the ecosystem. They break down organic matter. They, you know, they're, they're sort of the, the bulldozers of the forest floor. They're, they're food for other animals. And so they're, they're actually, they're, they're actually a really important animal and not everyone's afraid of cockroaches. And uh, we, while we've, you know, we've seen some people making some digs, we've also seen lots of people um, naming roaches for their loved ones, just as a fun way of saying, hey, happy Valentine's, here's a roach. So um, really kind of really an interesting, um, different way to uh, to celebrate. Do those people who do make a donation get a cockroach as well? They absolutely do not get a cockroach. They have the opportunity. The, the whole thing is about notionally naming a cockroach. There's no cockroach, um, it, you know, there that's actually theirs. Um, it's just a, a fun kind of fundraiser. So, um, you know, they can name a cockroach, but those names are never published. We don't send any information or or anything to the, the person that they've named. It's just a, a little bit of a fun thing. Minimum donation is $25. You can donate online at wildlifeconservancy.ca. It's under the uh, Ways to Give section. Where does the money go? Well, the money goes to um, Toronto Zoo Wildlife Conservancy, and we are the um, fundraising support uh, partner to the Toronto Zoo. So like I was saying at the beginning, there are a lot of programs at the zoo that um, conservation programs, wildlife conservation programs that rely almost exclusively on donations. So we're the uh, the organization that that gathers those donations and, and works with the Toronto Zoo to find the best way to support the wildlife conservation programs. And this is definitely uh, one of the many tools that we have. And, and you know, it, as, as much as we're, we're focusing on those roaches, because it is kind of cheeky and unique, um, we have other adopt um, offerings as well. So this Valentine's, you can also adopt an adorable penguin couple, Matilda and Sparkles. So um, amongst other animals as well. So it's just a, um, another engagement tool to um, to help us support the Toronto Zoo's programs. In, in return for the donation, uh, donors do get a, uh, from what I'm seeing on the website, a digital certificate, a shareable graphic that they can, I guess, send to maybe a, a, a bad ex or, or a boss that rubs them the wrong way or to a loved one as well. Well, they could always send um, uh, something to a to an ex or a bad boss, and uh, but yes, we we do send them a certificate. What they do with it is is their um, is their uh, decision. But um, yeah, there's all kinds of ways. I mean, if you can if you can contact them, you can contact them in all sorts of ways, not just this way. Is there any kind of fundraising goal you have in mind? Um, we've actually, you know, good that you asked. We had a, a fundraising goal of about $15,000 for the uh, cockroach portion, and we've actually reached that goal. And so we're really, really proud about that and, and pleased. And um, we'll actually be closing that the, the, the Adopt-A-Roach program 
probably by the end of today um, and focusing on um, the penguin adopts, which we still have a number available for, for people who want to go to wildlifeconservancy.ca adopt and, uh, and uh, support the Toronto Zoo. That is awesome. That money is going to go to a great cause as well. Beth, thank you for your time today. Good luck with uh, all the, uh, <laughs> uh, all the uh, things you got going, including the, uh, the name of Roach and the adopt the uh, penguin couple as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for asking me. That is Beth Gillespie, Executive Director of the Toronto Zoo. You can make a donation, minimum donation $25, to this Adopt an Animal Valentine's Day special, Name a Roach. Wildlifeconservancy.ca is the website to go to. And in the top navigation bar, there is a ways to give, and you'll see all the options that you have. Pretty fun. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 9. 100CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.